Hello, fellow dog-powered sports enthusiasts. This is Chelsea Murray, and you are listening to Positively Dog-Powered, a podcast that dives deep into the real world of positive reinforcement training and dog-powered sports. All right. Hey, everybody. We are back for another episode of Positively Dog Powered. And if you haven't already figured out the trend, puppies and young dogs have really been on my mind recently as I am kind of going through the process of raising another dog. It's been a while. You know, my second youngest is eight and he was the last puppy I raised. So it's kind of exciting going through all of the things again, realizing how much I don't know, right? Because the more <laughs> we learn, the more we go, wait a minute, <laughs> there are there are better <laughs> ways to do this. And that's one of the things I really love about raising puppies is that each one teaches you really different things. And today I am going to talk with two awesome guests about adventure puppies, because everybody who wants to engage in dog powered sports, whether that's going canny hiking and camping or getting on the race circuit, everybody wants a dog that's able to handle all of, all of the excitement and distractions that occur on trails. And we can be really mindful about how we're raising these puppies to set them up for this kind of future. So I've got two awesome guests, Amber Kwan and Shay Klein. Thank you so much for joining me today for this exciting conversation. Thanks for having us. So before we get started, Amber, I know I've had you on the podcast before, but Shay is brand new. Do you guys both mind just giving our listeners a little introduction to who you guys are in the dog world and kind of your interest in these adventure puppies? Yeah, um, I'm Amber, and I'm the uh, owner and head trainer at Summit Dog Training here in Colorado. And I um, started Summit Dog Training because I loved adventuring with my own dogs and everyone um, that I came into contact with in Colorado wanted the same uh, experience with their dogs. And and uh, so Summit Dog Training was born with an emphasis on getting dogs ready to go on all sorts of adventures with their people. And we've kind of carried that mission over to today. Um, and it's a theme throughout all of our training classes. And I, um, I'm Shay. I am also a trainer at Summit Dog Training. Um, I am currently our lead trainer for the our uh, puppy drop-off adventure camp. Um, I got my start in dog training about five or six years ago. Um, I started at Petco and then ended up um, going through Karen Pryor and, um, and eventually landed at Summit about two, almost three years ago now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> So I've uh, been there and loving it and um, spending a lot of my time doing puppy raising right now. <laughs> um, it's been a while since I've raised a puppy of my own, but I have been um, having a lot come through camp recently. So Yes. <laughs> love that. I love that we're a group of Karen Pryor alum here too. That's yes. pretty awesome. Um, I, I love what you guys do at Summit too. I mean, I've been to Colorado a couple times with my dogs and my husband on vacations, and it really does just have this wonderful adventure vibe. Like everything you do there, you want to be outside. And of course, as dog owners, we want to be able to take our dogs places with us. So being able to incorporate them in that lifestyle is so big. I find here in Atlanta, you know, that is something that we try to focus on with our clients. I think that a lot of people who might be living in more city environments with lots of sidewalks, lots of street traffic, you know, we ask a lot of our dogs to be able to tolerate that type of environment. And even for these folks, building skills to be able to get your dog outside of that environment, to decompress, to, you know, really experience their full dogness, I think is so important for these dogs and for their well-being. And I will say on a personal note, it helps us people too. You know, there's yes. something really healing and relaxing and decompressing for us too, to be able to get out with our dogs as long as we have the skills. <laughs> if yes. we as people and our dogs don't have that skill set to handle kind of nature and everything that it brings, then it certainly could be stressful. So by kind of planning ahead early and raising our dogs with this intention to be adventurous and be outdoors, we can help set everybody up for success. Now, I know personally for me, I'd love to get you guys' opinion on this too. 
when I am raising a puppy with the intention to go out and do, you know, dog powered sports, to go out and be hiking with them and be out in nature, there are different things that I focus on with them when they're really young, both in terms of socialization and with their training foundations. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that one of my um, big things that I really look for um, to try to foster and like cultivate a lot in puppies is just kind of like a natural sense of curiosity. So whatever they bring to the table um, with curiosity, I want to continue to grow and develop because I find that um, when we run into certain situations out and about on adventures that's in town or even if you know we're out on a trail um just having a dog that'll show up to things uh curious rather than jumping to other kinds of emotions first it tends to be one of the best things that i look for in situations absolutely and you know i think that's kind of funny because that curiosity you know as as we reflect on pet owners at home that we might be helping coach behind the scenes, that curiosity can sometimes, you know, quote, get puppies into trouble because they're like, <laughs> what's that? Let me go check this out. Is this a toy? What's this taste like? Right. And so I think that that's really important to mention because we want our puppies to be curious. We want them to want to explore, but that also means that we're creating these puppies that are confident and want to check things out. And so it might mean we have to be a little more creative and mindful when we're out with them for safety purposes as well. Yeah. And I think it's something that we can cultivate that curiosity in our own homes and that the, then's going to catalyze that curiosity out and about. And, um, you know, something as simple as with my most recent puppy, I every day was looking for some different novel non-puppy object to put on the ground and let him check out. And so I have videos of him, you know, stomping on a cookie sheet or playing with measuring um, tin measuring cups on a loud floor and uh, kind of just creating the situation where something new appeared and it was an opportunity to explore versus an opportunity to run away or ignore it. Um, and I think that your point about like the the tendency for like restrict, restricting puppies um, through like wanting them to not get into trouble uh, can inhibit some of that curiosity when we're like, no, don't go check that out. That's not for puppies, but instead thinking, switching it up maybe and thinking like, well, how can we make this for puppies? And how can we set up this expectation that, you know, something new appears in the environment and it's worth checking out at least once before we decide to move on. I love that. And I think that, you know, as we're looking at our puppies, you know, I, I know a lot of people who live on a lot of property where they can walk out their back door and go out on this great adventure. For me, you know, I'm at least 40 minutes from the closest trail that I would consider actually like getting out of the city and getting into nature. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you're absolutely right. A lot of that socialization and a lot of that, you know, creating um, positive associations with novelty and really reinforcing this curious nature in our dogs can happen right out of our own home with household objects. You know, um, we do a lot of enrichment in our house, which I know you guys do too. And one of my um, teenagers favorite things to do is to shred, right? So she gets <laughs> cardboard boxes from Amazon or Chewy, and she gets to chew them into pieces before they go out into recycling. But as a puppy, you know, when she wasn't quite sure what to do with it, that's something so easy that I have access to that I can put on the ground and say, hey, how do you feel about walking over this? Oh, you want to check this out? What a great puppy, right? And it seems so small or normal for us, but for our dogs, that texture under their feet and changing from one surface to another is something that our dogs can encounter out on trails. And so by you know, bringing this idea into the home of surfaces and, you know, checking out novelty, we can really start that socialization process at home and then take it out on the trails with us. Now, a lot of this that I do with my puppies personally is reinforcing their choice. So however they choose to interact with it, I'm going to reinforce them for it. How often are you guys just reinforcing what the puppies are giving you versus when do you decide to maybe add a cue like the what is that game? It, um, I think it'll depend somewhat on the puppy. And if we have a puppy that is um, just kind of early on 
in their exploration journey, adding a cue early can actually kind of turn into some pressure to um, interact and turn less curiosity and more just like, well, the human said to do this and I'm not quite emotionally on board um, yet, but I'm, you know, going to comply anyways, or maybe the human might be tempted to, if they've asked the puppy to do that, to like kind of do some like mild coercion to encourage the puppy to follow through. And so I think really who I do, I prefer doing a lot of just letting the puppy decide if the puppy's going to interact for quite a while before turning it into a check it out cue. And then once it becomes exciting and interesting for the puppy to check it out, then start putting it on cue so we can capture or we can cue that for new objects. Um, But it really should be when the puppy has um, demonstrated that they are all in on that checking it out behavior, not when they're still in that deciding how they feel about it. That's kind of my perspective on it. That's a really good point too, about that compulsion component, because I think too, that we as people can get kind of stuck in our head of like, I'm going to train this behavior and now I'm going to ask you for it. And when I ask you for it, I want you to do it. I want you to follow through. And while I certainly am not going to take a leash and pull the puppy towards the thing that I'm asking them to check out, even simply, you know, tapping it and continuing to force them to look at it and interact with it, like absolutely doing a treat trail towards it. Like that can create some pressure, which short term, like we might get away with it, but it's not creating that pressure free. I can check this out and it's not going to be a big deal type of idea with them. Yeah. Yeah. Something I really like to do is I like to just set up safe environments. Um, so spaces that, you know, with supervised, I feel pretty comfortable that they're not going to get themselves into too much trouble. Um, and so if that's outdoors, it's either like usually on a long line or if I've got it set up in an enclosed space. And I just kind of let them explore and do the thing at their own pace. And if they, you know, come to me for reassurance or they come and check in, then I, those are kind of the opportunities where I will offer a little bit more support or I will offer, um, you know, that's, that's usually where I will start um, rewarding kind of that bravery with other types of reinforcement, like food and and stuff. But I find a lot of times um, puppies will, like, for example, if I put up a tunnel or a wobble board in a space, um, a lot of times they will go and kind of explore it on their own. And I might reward a little bit of bravery here and there, but after they figure out it's fun on their own, um, they've kind of decided it's fun. And at that point I can add, you know, anything else I want to add because I feel like they have already shown me that they're comfortable with what's happening there. Um, and I do a lot of that same work outdoors as well. So if puppies on a long line, I'm just kind of, you know, I've kind of pre-screened an area and I'm going to follow them around and I'm going to let them, um, kind of explore and, and check things out and, um, you know, trying all the different surfaces, things like that. And, uh, seeing all the things that there are to see and, um, just, offering what I I think where I try to draw the line is like, I wait until they maybe show me that they are a little bit unsure about it um, before I start throwing food in there or like we'll start, you know, doing more of a training session type of thing as opposed to just self-paced free exploring. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, hundred percent does. I did a lot of that with um, my now teenager when she was a puppy, you know, I, pre-screen an area, make sure that it was an appropriate time of day where maybe it wasn't too busy. We weren't going to encounter that much. And I put her on a 30 foot long line and I was just existing with her. You know, I think that a lot of times when, when I go out in nature, I really think of like slowing things down. And for me, that's kind of that decompression component. But I think that we also should kind of take that to heart when we're working with our puppies too, because when we're involved in training sessions or we've got these big goals, we can be like, no, 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 I've got a time limit. You know, I'm only going to be at this park a certain amount of time. I want to go this amount of distance, but slowing down, observing your puppy and kind of following their lead can be really helpful. You know, when she wanted to stop and observe, 
I stopped and observed and I didn't say anything. I just let her watch. And once she watched the thing and was like, okay, no big deal. And then she started bouncing again. Then I started moving with her again. And I think there's really something special there about kind of observing the world through your puppy's eyes and like using them as your guide on how fast or slow things can move. I think we should do that with adult dogs too. And just <laughs> like, let our dogs dictate more of their um, experiences sometimes. And that's so hard as a human who's like, we're on the trail, we got to go to um, embrace that sometimes. Uh, Jamie, my current dog has been teaching me a lot about that because my my last dog, my Aussie was like, yep, we're on the trail, we're going to go versus my, uh, my current dog is a lot more like, let's stop and smell the roses and let's do this and that. Um, and so kind of changing our human expectations about what the adventure should look like, depending on what what our breed of dog, what their individual preferences are, but also like what their age and development is looking like at that time is um, it's an advanced human skill. It is. Now let's kind of talk about that flip side that you just brought up, because while we certainly have been talking about puppies that we might need to take things a little slow, we definitely have the complete opposite of that spectrum of puppies who have no self-preservation and just throw themselves a hundred percent into everything. So when you're taking these puppies out, you know, my, my internal gut is to try to protect them, right? You know, their bodies are growing and yes, I want to, them to explore and yes, they should have appropriate exercise outlets, but also, you know, we shouldn't be throwing ourselves off of really big rocks or, you know, ledges. So when you're out with these puppies that are really bold and maybe a little extra, how are you working to maybe help slow them down or physically protect them from things that they obviously don't see as a threat? Shay, you have one of those in your household, right? <laughs> I do. I do. I was just thinking, I was like, well, wow, that sounds like my dog. Um, yeah. So she has, um, I have a, a terrier mix and she has always been very bold. And it's one of my favorite things about her. When Even when she was a little puppy, she was just even things that she was unsure about, she would kind of still be curious and she would like creep forward towards them and check them out and then kind of move away. Um, so she's always been a very, very bold kind of dog. Um, so some things that I um, do with her or did with her when she was a puppy and I, I do when I have um, similar puppies that I have at camp is I do a lot of um, slowing them down with like kibble trails or like kibble scatters um, so that I can encourage them to do a lot more sniffing and like slowly engaging with the environment as opposed to um, maybe just kind of romping around full speed, nose diving off of all the rocks, um, all things that sounds like Daisy would love to do. Uh, <laughs> And now that she's, you know, her, her bones are, and her joints are a little bit more developed. I, and she knows um, and has really good body awareness. Uh, I feel, I trust her a little bit more with things like that, but with the baby dogs, I, I definitely um, want to kind of manage um, anything that they're not getting themselves into too much trouble. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Amber, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think just with those kind of like all in dogs that tend to bulldoze <laughs> into every situation, that's where I might start to teach specific skills a little bit sooner. Um, like teach two paws up on something, teach four paws up on something, teach how to lay down on something and to start to give them a little bit more structure for how to interact with those objects rather, or situations rather than just trusting that their puppy body is going to make it out onto the other side in one piece. And so if we already have um, an excess of confidence, starting to teach some of those specific body awareness skills and interaction skills um, earlier so that our, uh, our we have some structure to go with. And we're still not going to be asking our baby puppy to jump down from a big rock, but we might teach them how to jump off of a six foot cot uh, or six foot, six inches, six inch cot. Uh, uh, we might teach them how to safely move their body, you know, up and down um, so that when they do get in situations later on in their life where they're up higher, they have some more mechanics for safely navigating those. So, um, I think we just work, work some specific skills, uh, and body awareness 
that was cued, but also teaching the dog how to how to navigate something that's not cued, but just kind of cued by the environment. I mean, love that because if they're throwing themselves, you know, a hundred percent into a really tall rock that they want to jump on or a, a log that they want to jump on, maybe I start reinforcing them standing still on it, right? So that it maybe it gives me enough time. When they go, oh, really big tree, let me jump on it. I can get up, I can pay them and I can, you know, easily help them off that so that they're not then jumping. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be something that I'm formally training as a behavior, but just starting to reinforce and almost like plant those seeds in that puppy's brain so that they're like, okay, maybe I'll pause here instead of just launching off. I think the other thing too, that I often find with these puppies that are quite bold physically, they tend to be bold emotionally as well (laughs) in the sense that we want to avoid, you know, no, 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 don't do that. Right. Because of course, while that's very valid that we might have concerns that they're doing something that could be physically um, harmful to them. We don't almost want to add fuel to that fire, right? That can almost increase that desire to do that. Or then we've created a fun game of keep away or make mom upset because every time I jump on this, she gets real riled up. So I think, yeah, big reaction. (laughs) Oh, I like this behavior now. So I think also reminding yourself to stay calm and even teaching something as simple as like a positive interrupter so that if you see your puppy start to have that idea, you know, that little thought bubble above their head, you can throw out that special word just to give yourself a pause, right? Maybe long enough for you to drop a scatter at your feet or point something else out that they should go explore. Now, oftentimes for me with puppies, um, and this is true for my teenagers as well. And actually Camille and I were just talking about this on an episode is not teaching formal, formal skills, formal obedience. I'm not teaching, um, things in a super structured manner that I would necessarily with an adult, I'm focusing more on life skills and reinforcement of behaviors that I like. So in addition to reinforcing stillness or, um, you know, coming back to me when I say a special word, I'm working with my puppies when I'm out with them, just reinforcing behaviors that I do like, um, reinforcing check-ins if they want, maybe even reinforcing them walking on a loose long line instead of running and pulling (laughs) to the end of it. Are there other behaviors when you're out with your own dogs or even Shay, when you're out with client dogs that you really kind of keep a special eye out for if the puppy rehearses that you want to be sure to capture it? Um, I think starting just from one of the things I focus on in the, like the very first week that I have puppies is just that they will um, want to engage in different kinds of reinforcement and that we've built a really good kind of, um, like they know what to expect and how to expect different kinds of reinforcement. So that could be toys, that could be um, treats. And I love to see that puppies are able to eat in a variety of environments. So like if I'm seeing that the puppy is like comfortable and relaxed and they're exploring, um, then I will see like just starting, can they practice hearing that marker word and eating food? Um, Can we maybe do a little bit of tug or just some really easy kind of like, you know, puppy kind of toy games um, so I can get them maybe playing with me in a new space. So before I start capturing like behaviors that I would maybe want to turn into um, like more advanced types of skills, I always just want to start with the behaviors that I'm going to want to use as reinforcement in the long run. Um, So like eating and I always, you know, we want to be eating and play as behaviors. Um, And so those are going to be the behaviors that I will usually start with and just see, can I get them engaging in those kinds of behaviors before I start looking for other things kind of down the line? A huge piece that I think a lot of people miss out on too. You know, from a trainer brain, we use those almost as a a warm up and as a gauge. Like, where is your brain? How are you feeling emotionally about where we are? Because if your dog, if your puppy can't eat, if your puppy can't play, not only can we not use those as reinforcers for behaviors that we do like, but that also lets us know how much stress the puppy might be under or if the puppy doesn't feel good. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's a 
big piece that a lot of people miss. And it could be as simple as, you know, I'm going to spend five extra minutes hanging out at the trailhead before we kind of go on this walk through this path to make sure you can take your environment in, to make sure you can eat, to make sure you can engage with this toy and engage with me. Because if we get to a place and a puppy is hypervigilant, I mean, you're probably not going to be able to get any productive training done, even if it is just capturing of behaviors, because you're not going to have any valuable reinforcers for that puppy. Yeah. And one step further on kind of our adventure, um, thinking like building on those skills, something I encounter with Jamie is that if we were doing like a longer adventure, like a hike or a backpacking trip, and he wasn't able to eat ahead of time because of excitement, stress, whatever it is, he'd engage in those activities and have kind of an upset stomach, have lower energy, have, um, even some on some of, before we kind of figured this out, he had some, and he's a special case. He had some weird food related, um, situations as a puppy. So it wasn't, it's not quite as simple as like a black and white, like, could he eat, could he not? But on the times when he couldn't eat, for various reasons, he was not as successful throughout our adventure, both mentally and physically, like where he'd have some, you know, vomiting along the trail, which isn't what I want for a puppy at all. Um, and so getting, starting to really make sure that eating ahead of time is important. Um, and you know, when we're thinking about any high intensity sport, we do have to also consider like the timing of eating compared to the strenuous activity, especially for large breeds that may be prone to other, um, you know, health consequences like bloat. So there's, there's many factors here, but with Jamie, one thing I learned as a puppy is like, if he wasn't able to eat ahead of time, we would not only see those behavior, um, consequences, but also some physical consequences as well. And so it made it even more important for him to have something, some calories before our adventure. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, a lot of our training sessions or nature excursions are often really early in the morning and learning can, or eating can be a behavior that dogs have to learn how to do. You know, one of my dogs is not a big morning eater, but when I wake up two hours before we're going to leave the house, I really need him to eat before we go out and do this thing. Like you said, because if, if they're not feeling well, they're not going to be able to do as well physically and emotionally. You know, I mean, if you think about you as a person, if you wake up really nauseated and, you know, you're not feeling good, maybe you've got COVID, right. It's not going to be easy for you to go out on a hike on the trail and, you know, really think critically about training and exercising and how to handle all these trail distractions the same way that it's going to impact our dogs and certainly our puppies. And, you know, when I think about our puppies in particular, I work really hard to protect them. There is some amount of things not going right that are okay and that are actually beneficial for them because I need my puppies to learn how to handle those moments. And I need them to learn that things aren't always going to go the same way, but it's going to be okay. But at the same point, I want to protect them from one event learning that could be really detrimental to their ability to go out on these adventures with me in the future. When you guys are working with puppies and kind of thinking about your training plans and even handling things directly on the trail as they're happening, are there certain things that kind of go through your brain as you're balancing the ability to train them? how to go with the flow and be relaxed about things and yet also kind of protect them from having big emotions that might be out of place. Yeah. I I mean, I think that that's always has to be part of our planning adventures um, and planning for our puppies to have successful experiences whenever possible. Um, Whether that's like picking the location of our Um, of our trail such that we know like we can step off to the side um, or we know that like generally we've had good experiences on this trail with encountering other people and dogs in the past. And so, you know, generally maybe a good population of other um, trail visitors to help us foster the experiences we want for our dogs. Um, Setting up things like with Jamie back to the food is I started having to uh, we we planned our next few backpacking trips to leave a little bit later in the day, or I'm I said we need to work 
really hard on getting him to eat, um, you know, these, these steps, follow these steps. And we, um, you know, could talk for hours about (laughs) creating eating rituals for our dogs, but we, instead of it being like with my last dog, I would be like, great. He'll just eat along the trail. Every time I offer him a piece of food, he's going to eat it. Great. No problem. I had to restructure our adventure to say, I'm, I want to protect his stomach and his, um, you know, feelings about this. And so we're going to spend 20 minutes sitting on the floor, convincing him to eat before we leave the house at, at, uh, whatever time in the morning, um, because that does need to be important, uh, to set us up for success. So I think really, yes, I think it's important in, at every step of the way to be thinking about that. I also, I will generally tend to pick environments where I'm not going to be surprised at least, or it's very unlikely that I will be surprised. So uh, I want to pick places that I trust and feel comfortable in because I think that that will naturally um, give me the confidence to kind of guide the puppy through the situation as opposed to, we both get caught off guard by something then it's a lot harder um, to kind of show up the way that we want to um, for our puppies in those situations. And I think then, then if I have kind of set myself up um, with these sort of guidelines, like I don't necessarily go into every outdoor, um, I, I might call them a training session, but I, I don't necessarily go into all of these training sessions with a single core behavior um, that I'm that I'm looking for, but I've set these guidelines for myself. So um, that way I've I've given the puppy a little bit more power to kind of take the lead and, and direct the way that the session is going to go. Um, and if they show me that they're really, you know, curious about um, the uh, small rocks that are over by, you know, that they can put feet on, we might do some work on that. Or if they are, you know, showing me that there's some work happening across the street that maybe they are a little concerned about and they want to watch, um, I will maybe let them watch. And if I can see that maybe we need to get a little bit of extra distance, cause I'm noticing that our, our body language is, um, you know, a, a little scared or, um, we seem a little frozen and they're not able to kind of watch and then go back to doing those other behaviors that I want to see, like exploring, sniffing, uh, eating food, playing with toys, then I'm going to get a little bit of extra space from those things. So, um, picking environments that also I can be flexible with. So space where I can get extra space from distractions. Um, and I've got a lot of I, I want to say dimensions, but like I can move in lots of different ways. So I'm not confined to like a single kind of back and forth on a trailer. Usually my favorite places to work with puppies. I'm glad that you brought that up about, you know, strategically, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, my teenager is having a moment um, about <laughs> strategically choosing environments that also set you as a human up for success. Like that is such a huge piece of it. You know, yeah. I might not take my puppy with my two adult dogs to a trail I've never been and like expect everything to go smoothly. Right. I might choose a park that I've been to a lot where I know the trails and I know, Hey, if there's a person with an off leash dog over to the East, I have a place I know I can move over off to my left. Right. Like there's different pieces of those trails that I might be more comfortable with even simply different pieces in terms of, I know how busy traffic wise they're going to be. If I'm comfortable with the place, that kind of cool, calm demeanor will definitely be able to come off me towards that puppy a lot more easier. And then I'm not gonna have to be worried about all of the things around me. I'll be able to focus a lot more on my puppy. So I'm really glad you brought that up. I think that's huge. I think uh, an extension of that is also choosing anyone uh, that you're hiking or adventuring with wisely um, because there are certain folks that are through no fault of their own, not really super aware about the things that you might want to be doing to set your puppy up for success. And so if you're with someone who's like, I'm hiking and I'm going and you're like, but I need to actually slow this down. That can be kind of pressure on your puppy, but also pressure on you to do and push past things in a way that you might not 
enjoy or might not get you the results you want. And so going, especially on those first puppy adventures, going with folks that can be flexible. And like, if you stop to let your puppy sniff are going to stop with you and, um, you know, continue to uh, kind of adjust their behavior. Uh, and then bonus points, if that person has a socially savvy dog um, that can be a good model for your puppy. So uh, another dog is coming down the trail and your socially savvy dog friend that you're not responsible for handling or supporting gets to go and and demonstrate good trail greetings, either stepping off to the side or doing an interaction and puppy gets to kind of observe and, or take their cues from that socially savvy dog versus a dog that maybe is reactive. And now your puppy is taking those types of cues from, um, from that situation. So picking your, your hiking, um, adventure buddies thoughtfully, especially for those first few adventures, I think can really help. Absolutely. You know, you want to kind of do your best to set up that ideal environment where the, your puppy gets to dictate the pace and then everyone around that puppy is doing what they can to kind of set them up for success. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather head out on the trails alone for a puppy centered trip than teach my puppy things I don't want them to, <laughs> to be learning, mm -hmm. you know, by other influences around them that yeah. could be a little less than ideal of that standard that we're looking for. Um, because especially when they're really young, they might not have that resiliency yet, but down the road, if we really take that time and set up those foundations early, it doesn't mean we won't be able to go out with that friend, right? We, we might be able to later on once that puppy kind of has a handle, but we certainly don't want to overload them or overwhelm them. And I think that that can be really hard, especially if we have goals that we're working towards or goals that we want to be able to accomplish with these puppies. It can you know, we think to ourselves and we put so much pressure on ourselves. Like we only have a very short window of time to do all of the things, right? We've got to do all the things, especially if the puppy comes, for example, I'll use my puppy. You know, I brought her home late spring and it gets so hot here over the summer. So our access to things dramatically decreases. And I was like, I only have a really short window of time that I got to do all these things, right? And it, we have to be careful and mindful about not putting our puppy into situations, even if they've been doing really well, like we're like, oh, you've been handling everything really well. This will be no big deal. We don't want to go say to a trailhead, maybe a really busy one on a Saturday morning and expect our puppy to be able to relax like our older dogs might. Yeah. Right. And I think that sometimes when we have been living with adult dogs or we've got this idea in our head about what we need to accomplish or what we want to accomplish in a short time frame it can maybe cause us to make some bad decisions. <laughs> so I think that reminding yourself to take things slow and, and reminding yourself that it's okay to bail. If, you know, we see some behaviors that we don't like, or we're unable to kind of regain the puppy that we want, because we're having some emotions about something um, can be really important as a human reminder, as you're heading into, you know, these goal oriented puppy adventures. Hundred percent. I think that's huge. Um, I feel like that sometimes, like if if the session is just not going well um, for one reason or another. So maybe the puppy, you know, we thought this is going to be a perfectly fine environment. My puppy's going to do great here. Maybe you've even been there before, and the puppy did great there. And then you walk out the door, and the puppy says no, thank you. Um, if you know for one reason or another, and with puppies, um, they they show up a little bit different almost every single day because they're just growing and developing so rapidly that a puppy, you know, might be a little unsure about something one day and then the next week he might come back and that might not be the case um, or vice versa. Like, you know, they might have small setbacks on with sounds or things that they were maybe not um, having any issues with. And I think that there tends to be um, there's like almost pressure where we feel like, oh no, if we, you know, my puppy is now afraid of X, Y, Z, and we will kind of start to, to put labels on it. Um, but I find like a lot of the times, like if you just, 
if it's sessions not going well and you just get out of there, then it was still a successful outing. And um, like, for example, we had some puppies um, at camp over the winter that consistently all of them, uh, one of the neighbors was out shoveling their driveway and um, the puppies were like, no, I don't like that. It makes a scary noise. It moves funny. I, I don't want that. So we moved them away. We did a potty in a different area. And then um, after they had gone down for a nap, which is another kind of important piece, kind of let them rest, refresh <laughs> their brains. Uh, we showed them a just a snow shovel, laid it on the ground for them in the training room and kind of let them um, explore it and kind of check it out in their own pace. So just kind of represented it to them to give them that experience with it in a different way. Now, let's talk about that rest component just a little bit, because <laughs> we know that if our puppies don't get enough rest, we're more likely to see um, undesired behaviors like barking and jumping and chewing things they're not supposed to. And we might even see accidents and more mouthing. And a lot of these behaviors that we can see, of course, we as humans don't want to see, and we don't want our puppies practicing them. But I think that beyond just teaching them how to be confined and rest in a crate or teaching them how to settle on a mat, our adventure puppies almost have it a little harder because we need them to, in a sense, go with the flow. When I move, you move. When when I stop, I want you to stop and rest if we're at a trailhead or at a campsite. And that idea can be really hard for puppies. How do you guys start kind of planting those seeds early on of this go with the flow and, and um, you know, relaxation in new and potentially exciting environments for them? Uh, a, a key piece for me with both my, um, my own puppies and then through my like drink with your dog project, um, work where it's all about like do something and then come and sit still. And we want the dog to lay down. It is thinking about the antecedent arrangements that we can create consistency with, even if we are in different environments, um, that kind of signal to the dog that now it's rest time. Uh, and at first when we're starting to build this, whether with a new puppy or with a dog that's kind of new to relaxation, I want to have as clear antecedent arrangements as possible. And then we just, we start to kind of fade and fluctuate those after we have that relaxation, um, that we want. So some examples of, uh, kind of some, some ways that I set it up is I teach, one, I'm always trying to meet the dog's needs first. So we adventure, we walk, we we get some outlet, and then we sit rather than we just wake up in the morning, we eat breakfast, and then we sit and try to have relaxation. So meeting needs first is a big antecedent arrangement. And as the dog gets better at relaxing, we can shift away from um, the extent to which we meet their their needs. And it could be more like, this is a pause. And then we continue to, to do things, but, um, that's a big, big component. The second component is choosing, um, uh, to have the dog on leash at times when they would already be kind of thinking about napping at like in the home. So if it's nap time in the house, um, a lot of people just like, okay, puppy's asleep. So let's just let that happen. But, um, then, what happens is anytime the dog is on leash, it's go time. And anytime they're off leash, it's relaxed time. And so I want to shift that because a lot of our adventures, unless you're in the back country somewhere at a um, rural campsite, a lot of our um, adventures in and around civilization are going to involve rest time on a leash. And so building in the leash as part of the queue for relaxation. So, okay, I went and took my dog for a walk and now I came back inside and now it's going to be nap time. I'm expecting that they probably, if left to their own devices, are going to lay down and sleep. I'm going to keep them on leash and bring them over beside my chair or beside the couch or beside my computer desk, wherever it is, have them on leash, have the leash just kind of you know, under my foot loosely or um, otherwise kind of just anchored and let them nap and understand they, they can, they can sleep under my chair on a leash without um, it being like go time and ex excitement. So those are kind of two antecedent arrangements. I just add in routinely and then I just change the location where we are relaxing. So maybe now we're relaxing on the patio or relaxing on the front porch, or we go to a quiet um, 
brewery that's not open yet. And we sit on their empty patio and we relax. Um, but those two pieces of antecedent arrangements are the same and carried, carried over throughout. Love that. That's so important meeting those needs beforehand. Um, my, my puppy is a go, go, go kind of girl. And you definitely have to meet those needs before you can expect relaxation, because if you don't, you're just going to create frustration. You know, she, you're going to see a lot of undesired behaviors and you can even start to create some negative associations with being on leash and being stationary, which is the exact opposite of what we want. Um, you know, for our dog powered sports, our dogs are often traveling and relaxing in the car, whether that's in the crate or they're free. And if they're expected at pretty busy environments to be able to kind of hang out and not do much, um, whether that's in the car or even like tethered um, to the outside of the car. And so for me, I've been trying to tie that into our adventure routines. So we'll go somewhere, you know, I'll let her get a little bit of that energy out, maybe on a long line, even if it's not my full adventure. And then we head back to the car and we practice relaxation and I reinforce relaxation. And if I wanted to go a little further or do something else on that adventure, we'll then go out and do the thing, you know, cause I don't always want her to assume that when we get to a new place, it's adventure first and relaxation after, but I do have to be mindful of her skill set. And how advanced it is and her own individual personality and temperament. And it is, it would be unfair to just expect her at this age to be able to go to a new and exciting place and just get out of the car and then relax quietly. Right. But as you mentioned, just because I'm giving her a little bit of outlet when we first get there, doesn't mean I'm always going to have to do that as her ability to relax quietly and calmly in new places becomes stronger and gets a bigger history of reinforcement, it's going to be much easier for me to kind of taper off how much she's going to need on the front end of that. Um, But I think that's so important to kind of be thinking about what pictures your dogs might have in both that recreational level and competitive level and saying, how can I start to create these routines and expectations for my puppy from the start but also fairly, right? Right. Building them up in a manner where the puppy can be successful because oftentimes for our puppies, it's very hard to relax. It's also very hard for our puppies when they know that they're going to get to do their favorite thing at this environment. You know, our, most of our adventure puppies love this, whether that's (laughs) going for a hike or getting hooked up to a bike or scooter, right? That passion and excitement for that sport builds pretty quickly, which then makes that relaxation even harder. So I think, you know, trying to keep that big picture in mind of what we want it to look like in the meantime, but then remember that your puppy's a baby, right? And we're just learning all these skills. So try to be fair and try to be realistic about those expectations as to what your dog can handle in the moment. Mm -hmm. Something else I find that puppies, uh, like just in general, have a really difficult time just shifting gears from um, not so much, you know, up, that one doesn't seem to be as challenging in general, but shifting back down from we've just been running around and playing or um, up and exploring, like shifting and kind of winding back down can be challenging for a lot of puppies, even at home. Um, So before you add in all of the exciting pieces of a new environment and and things like that, it's so like Amber mentioned, you know, using the leash sometimes like as it is a cue that like, hey, we can wind back down and settle back down. Um, I will also tend to use a lot of um, like sniffing or like find it type games or um, licking or chewing as a way to just kind of transition from excitement to calm before maybe I switch more to, um, you know, just intermittently reinforcing for calm behavior or seeing if the puppy is going to rest a little bit more on their own. But I find that like going straight from exercise or any kind of excitement um, to that rest, a lot of puppies and adolescent dogs um, really benefit from having some kind of help as they're kind of transitioning between the two. 
Yeah, they're going to need a little more help, potentially a little more structure or a little more cueing from us as people, and generally a lot more reinforcement, right? They're going to need to learn that calming back down is good versus they usually, as you mentioned, don't need a lot of help going the other direction. It's usually really easy to get that arousal spiked, but a lot harder to bring it back down for sure. Uh, tying into what you had said about when uh, when you arrive at an adventure location, uh, not wanting it to be immediately, we hop out of the car and we go to from zero to 100. One of the things I did with uh, Jamie quite a bit when he was a puppy is I would drive to different locations and park and just sit in my car. And he's in a crate napping and uh, learns that parking the car and turning it off even And sometimes I'd even get out, I'd shut my door, I'd walk around the car, I'd go back, I'd get back in, like didn't always mean spike up in intensity right away. Um, And that was really, really helpful, I think, in creating just the expectation that just because the car is parked doesn't mean we're ready to ramp up. And one of the things that I, um, it's one of my personal, like the things that bothers me the most when I ride with other folks, dogs in the car is like, we turn onto the road, the, 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 it changes from um, pavement to gravel. And then the dog starts whining and pacing in the backseat and barking and getting all kind of ramped up because there's a lot of reinforcement history for, we pull into the parking lot and we open the door and the dog gets to go do the best thing in the world. And for whatever reason, that's just, that's a really big pet peeve of mine. And I um, wanted a dog that I could pull up and park and then spend 20 minutes, you know, getting myself ready. Maybe I needed to run and pee real quick before I let them out, like whatever it is and not have to hear my dog um, kind of screaming at me, ramping up because that not only is disruptive to my experience and maybe everyone else's in the parking lot, but it's also building a behavior momentum that then is going to carry over into the trail. So if my dog is already starting at level 100 and I get them out and want them to be at level 30 for, um, then then that's going to be a big transition and need a lot of support to get back down. If my dog's coming out of the crate being like, blink, blink, where are we? Are we, are we going to do something? I was just having a nap and I wasn't, um, you know, already ramped up. Then I can work on building up that behavior momentum. Um, and like we've talked about, that's a much easier path. Um, and so just thinking about the, the behavior chains that we're creating with our puppies really early on, and it's a lot easier to set them up with, with their blank expectations and continue to, um, reinforce those versus teaching them how to ramp up and expect big things. And then trying to undo that is a lot more work than just creating, um, those relaxation paths to begin with. hundred percent. So much (laughs) easier to, to start from the beginning, you know, and the other thing I will say to that extent is, Don't be surprised when you see these behaviors pop up for the first time. You know, you've maybe been to a trailhead 15 times with your puppy and your puppy has not shown any of these behaviors. But then that 16th time you pull in and they hear gravel or you've parked in the parking lot and they're like, I know where I am. This is great. Let's go do the thing. Right. I might go, okay, I need to take five more extra minutes to calm this puppy back down before we then head out. And I think that's that really important piece too, of like being able to observe the puppy in front of you and say, okay, how do I need to shift gears here to get you back where I want before we head out? And the second you start seeing those shifts in behaviors is the time to address it because it is much, much harder to do it the other way around and try to deal with all of those emotions that will become built into it. You know, and I, I think it's funny that we never really know which item or which behavior on our part is going to create these emotional (laughs) responses from our dogs. And it might be something unexpected too. You know, we, we have goals of creating emotional responses from our dogs and these expectations when we pull out a treat bag or a clicker or a settlement, right? These are intentional things that we're building with our dogs, but they're learning every single time we take them out. And so you never know what piece of that puzzle they're going to start to connect, right? And start 
shifting those behaviors in our puppies or increasing that arousal. So the being able to kind of change what you're doing on the fly can be really helpful in making sure that those emotional responses don't get any bigger. So we talked about a lot with our adventure puppies, and there's certainly a lot to think about from socialization to what behaviors we want to reinforce and how we're starting to really kind of plant these seeds of what their future is going to look like. But do you have any kind of last tips or any other things that you want to leave our listeners with? I think that it is super important to um, reach out to uh, just people in your circle when you were raising a puppy, Um, because there is always going to be something that um, you will likely benefit from just having an extra set of eyes on. Um, I feel like even professional trainers, we will always kind of reach out to each other um, for things that, yeah, I've raised, I've helped a lot of people raise a lot of puppies, but I can almost guarantee the second that it is my puppy and I am stuck, (laughs) uh, that I'm going to feel stuck and I'm going to spiral really quickly versus um, just having, you know, Amber or any of the other summit trainers just kind of take a quick um, look at that. And oftentimes there's a very easy answer that i just didn't think of in the moment because I was just too close to the situation. So, yeah, that's awesome. Um, it takes a village to raise a puppy sometimes. <laughs> uh, my last thought is thinking about adventure as um, whatever is important to you in the life with your puppy. And um, that could be kind of our kind of stereotypical adventures of being on trail, being hiking and um, and biking. That can be a little bit kind of diverse adventures like um, paddleboarding or boating um, with our dogs. That could be, you know, in, if you have a small dog, airplane travel and um, going to foreign cities with subways and trains and buses. And so thinking about adventure as like, what does your puppy need to know and you won't be able to introduce them to everything, but thinking about threading in things that are, that are touch points that your dog will need to, um, experience, you know, like Jamie, um, is small enough to ride in the bike basket on my bike. And so one of the adventures that we regularly do is bike and he needs to ride in the bike basket. And so as a very young puppy, we started carrying him around our house in a bike basket. And before he was even on the bike, he was sitting in a bike basket, getting carried around. Um, and like introducing those things early, but with a a mind towards future adventures, um, whatever that looks like for your dog, um, I think is, is at the heart of our adventure puppy raising journey. I think what I would add would almost be a playoff of what Shay said, you know, in addition to us needing help, which is always the case, there's always (laughs) more to learn. And help having a fresh set of eyes. I also think that's important for us to be able to do that with our own puppies, because no matter how many dogs we've raised or how many clients that we've helped raise their puppies, all of them are individuals. And while I might have a game plan of accomplishing these specific things in this order, and I'm going to go out on Tuesday and Thursday, you know, however detailed that plan might be, you always need to be able to adapt that plan for the puppy in front of you, whether that's as big as, oh, we're not going to work on behavior X because we're nowhere near ready for that. We got to take a step back and work on something new that I haven't had to do before, or as small as my puppy's struggling in the moment. I want to make sure that this behavior doesn't get any more rehearsal time or my puppy's having a hard time with emotions and we don't yet have that toolbox to be able to bring those emotions back down. So I think even as an individual being able to adapt your plan on that big and small scale to kind of help support the puppy in front of you, because I promise you with a good training plan, you'll eventually get where you want to go. It might take a little more time than you expected. You might have to accomplish different things than you expected, but I think being able to adapt and make sure that you're supporting that puppy and doing what's best for that individual puppy, because it's going to be so different for each one you bring in. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. So many good takeaways, and it makes me 
so happy to know that so many puppies out there are going to get some support and living their best lives. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Are you enjoying these episodes? I hope so. If you don't mind, would you take just a moment and leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice? This will help us connect with more dog-powered sports lovers just like you, or maybe help somebody find their next new passion. If you're getting started and you need a little extra help with training, it's okay to ask for help. We've got a lot of ways that we can help support you in your training journey from online recorded webinars to a self-serve virtual course to help you with everything from equipment selection and fit warm up and cool down routines and all of your training foundations like line out G haw and on by right from the convenience of your own home. So head over to positivefutures.com or check out the link in our show notes below. And if you'd like another way to help support the podcast, feel free to connect with us at Positively Dog Powered on both Instagram and Facebook. You can share your favorite episode or even tag us while you're headed out on the trails with your dogs. And for a little as $1 a month, you can help support this podcast to make sure that we can keep bringing you these great interviews with professionals from all over the dog industry. Thank you, everybody, for your support. So... Until next time, have fun chasing tails on the trails.